everybody. This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Welcome. You're about to hear an audio clip from a show that ran inside the Discipleship.org Collective. You can go to Discipleship.org slash collective to create your free account today and start watching these shows live. This show features Steve McCoy from Small Circle talking to us about life changes at a table for two. Small Circle provides tools and courses to capture that power of one-on-one discipling relationships. All right, let's jump in and hear from Steve McCoy. Here we go. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm a pastor in a church in Sarasota, Florida called the 360 Church. And uh, we welcome you to the discipleship.org collective. Today, we're going to talk about uh, a small circle, and I'll explain exactly what that means. But thanks so much for, for joining us. I always like to begin by saying I am a pastor. This year will be my 40th year in the ministry. And so along the years, of course, many stories, many chapters, and discipleship has been at the very core. When I came to Christ, I was a concert pianist. I was studying in, the, in Boston, and uh, during that time, I was just really searching for God. I was in my 20s. I had begun to read the Bible. I saw Billy Graham on TV. There was a trumpet player that was sharing the gospel with me, and so I really was on a hard search for, for a few years. When I came into a church, and the, the pastor there was uh, just preaching the gospel so clearly, and uh, he was from India. The church was very multi-ethnic. And uh, on that day, I came to Christ, and what happened after that was life-changing, literally. And and what I uh, didn't know was that he was a part-time pastor and also a part-time landlord. And so he had this uh, significantly large uh, apartment building right next to the church. He invited me to come and live in the apartment building. He said, hey, I got a roommate for you. He was studying uh, at uh, Berkeley School of Jazz, and so it was a great match. I moved in. And now I look back and and see what he was doing. He was discipling me. And uh, at the time, I didn't know anything about the evangelical culture. I didn't know uh, uh, how things worked. And and so uh, along the years, I looked back in that time when I first came to Christ, it was and it was uh, such an important time of being discipled. The, The pastor's name was Titus. And every Thursday night, Titus would invite me up to his apartment flat and I'd have dinner with he and his wife and his two small children. And after dinner, every Thursday night, Titus would say, hey, you want to go You want to go uh, have a conversation and, and study a little bit? And so I did. And it was, it was a, a place that was safe. It was a place that was clear. It was a place that uh, was life-changing because of the dynamic of a Paul and Timothy sitting at a table. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to have, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to have some visuals I'm going to share along the way, but I'll explain what those are since you're you're, uh, listening just by audio. So I, I want to begin by saying this statement that I do believe that we assess what we love. In other words, if we're willing to evaluate something, it's an indicator that we we actually love it. Now, there's a difference between being critical and and also being uh, 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 you know, assessing something. And so, um, I want to just assess the church culture. And when I'm doing a live training, this is this is often uh, how we begin, because we're going to look at at spiritual disciplines in our church and how do you think we're doing. So, we uh, if you're looking at the at the screen, I'm going to share my screen and just give you some questions, and then uh, I won't pause for these questions, but uh, it just, these questions for the everyday people in our church. I'm not talking about what the answers should be, what the ideal answers are, and and some of the statistics, they vary from, you know, place to place, whether you're you're listening or reading Barna or, or Pew Research or whatever your source may be, but overall, these answers are the same, and to be honest, when I began to do this research and began to do some assessment, I thought that these results that we're going to see were limited to the United States, that they were an American phenomenon. But as I began to travel around the world in many, many different places of the world, in Africa and the Middle East and uh, uh, Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, wherever that might be, 
I found that these results were actually the same wherever we traveled. And so um, these questions, again, are going to represent the everyday person in our church. So let me begin with prayer. So the question would be, um, on average, how many minutes a day does the average Christian pray? 60 minutes, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, two minutes. Now, I know we're praying throughout the day, and it's kind of threaded throughout, and it's, it's peppered with prayer. And, but I'm talking about the kind of prayer that, that Jesus prayed when he got away from everything early in the morning, undistracted. Well, if you've read any of the research, you'll know that the, the answer is not 60 minutes, not 30 minutes. Some people say 15 minutes, but typically the answer is two minutes a day. So if I were to ask you a question, do you think that's a predicament? Do, do you think it's an indicator as we're assessing? Because, for example, if you're a business owner and you were looking at some results from your business and, and you saw that the results were like this, uh, or you were in a deficit at the end of the year, you would say, maybe perhaps we need to rethink how we're doing our business. Here's another one. Let's talk about giving back to God 10%. So what percentage of Christians are willing to give back to God 10% of what they give? So God gives you 10 apples, everything, he, of course, he owns. He gives you 10 apples, you give one back. What percentage of evangelical Christians are willing to give back to God one of 10 apples, 50%, 25, 10, or 5 well, the answer, again, is the lowest percentage here is five. And, and some st statistics show that it's actually two and a half percent. And that is in the United States, one of the most wealthiest countries, most resourceful countries in, in, in the world. Let me do one more. What percentage of Christians have ever discipled another Christian? Now, let me put a little bit of a, a fine-tuning uh, definition of Paul, let's say, discipling Timothy. So what percentage of Christians, evangelical Christians, have ever discipled someone in a setting where they've poured their life into another individual? 50%, 20%, 10%, 1%. So you can almost guess the answer is 1%. Now, here's the stunning thing. When I'm doing a live training or even a Zoom training, I ask these questions, and I will tell you that 99% of people already know what the answers are. In other words, we know that there is a challenge in our church culture around the world. Here's another thing to think about. I believe that leaders move predicaments to solution. So I, you could even say it a different way, that God uses leaders to move predicaments to solution. So when you think about Moses, the, the, the people of God, the Israelites, were in a tremendous predicament. They were enslaved in Egypt. Well, God could have come down and dealt with it himself, but he didn't. He used Moses, and he used Gideon, and he used Isaiah, and he used the disciples. And one of the greatest uh, uh, predicaments in, in human history, of course, is our helplessness in the sinful condition that we found ourselves in, that we inherited from Adam, and God sent his son to take care of that predicament. Why do I say that? Because I do believe, and we could have, I could have given you a lot of questions. We looked at prayer. We looked at giving back to God. We looked at uh, 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 disciple making. We looked at, uh, we could look at uh, time in the word of God. How much time does the average everyday Christian spend in the word of God? Not only just reading it, but studying it and allowing that the word to navigate their lives. What percentage of evangelicals are willing to share their faith on a regular basis? All of the percentages are low. And again, if we were a business, we would, we would say, okay, we, we've got to rethink some things. We know that discipleship is the answer. We know that, that uh, disciple-making is such a critical core of moving the needle in life change in the church culture. So, I want to share a couple of visuals with you, and I'm going to think in terms of circles. So again, if you're listening to the podcast, what I have behind me are two circles. One I'm going to refer to as the big circle and one as the, a mid-circle. Now, the big circle that I, I'm going to use in terms of a typical worship service or a gathering of believers in a larger setting, and the the mid-circle is going to represent for us groups of some kind. So we have, we have worship services, as we know, and groups uh, of some kind. That can be Bible studies. It can be uh, home groups. It can be uh, uh, adult Sunday school. 
These are groups of people, some typically from 10 to 12, sometimes with classes or adult Sunday school, it gets larger than that. But a typical home group, a typical Bible study is roughly 10 to 12 people. Now, I want to point out that there's nothing wrong with this model. In fact, this is a fantastic model. In fact, in just a little bit, we're going to, we're going to look at the, the, the model that Jesus used, and he used this model. So uh, just straight up, want to make sure we understand nothing wrong with this model. In fact, I would say that there is something that is beautifully distinctive in each of these circles. So when we gather, whether you're in a home church or you're in a mega church, when we gather together as believers and we're hearing the preaching of the word of God and we're, we're praying together and we're worshiping together, there's something that is distinctive and beautiful that you don't get in, in the other circles. And so when you look at the same thing with a group. So if you, let's say you go to a, a church and you're gathering for worship, there's something when you move into a home group or a Bible study that it, that you're getting something distinctive in that group setting that you don't get in the corporate setting or the big circle. I, I can't say enough that each of these, I believe, are important. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, for example, he had both of these. Of course, he preached to the crowds, and some of them were significantly large crowds. Then, of course, he had different size groups. He had uh, the 12 disciples. He had even groups bigger than that, but he obviously the most well-known is the 12 disciples. And then he had a smaller group. We can sometimes call it a micro group, Peter, James, and John. So there were really four people in that group. And so when you look at these circles, there are two areas that I want us to focus on that I believe the disciple-making is so critical. And when you look at these circles and you look at the ministry of Jesus, these two areas are content and relationships. In other words, if these circles are beautifully distinctive, what is distinctive, let's say, in the big circle that it, in, in regards to content, and why is it different? Why is content different, and how can it be different in a group setting? And how are relationships different when we're, when we're collectively all together, and how does that differ than when we're in a group? I'm going to propose to you that in the ministry of Jesus, and this is kind of where we're heading, in the ministry of Jesus, there is another circle, and that circle I'm going to refer to as the small circle. That's where we get the name of this ministry, small circle. So as a pastor of a local church, I began to become uh, disillusioned by the church culture, and, and especially within the local church, of seeing that lack of life change, that that sense of of casualness when it came to life change and relationships. And so over the years, I kept reflecting back when I came to Christ and what a powerful dynamic it was to have a one-to-one -one relationship with someone. And so today, we're eventually going to get to the small circle, which is a one-to-one -one dynamic. So let me back up and, and talk about the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus had these two circles, crowds, let's say, and just for the sake of, of concise communication today, let's say, let's refer to the 12 disciples. When Jesus spoke to the crowds, when we, when, we, when we take a look at the content, when Jesus spoke to the crowds, the content, I'm going to say, was common. It's not any different than when we as pastors get up and speak on a Sunday morning. And in, the, in any given Sunday morning for us, there are people that are searching for God, they're exploring God, there are people that are new to the faith. There are people that have been in the faith for many years. There are people that are uh, that are seasoned. Oh, there's a, a wide spectrum. So, as a speaker, as a and when you're preaching, we're trying to to not go over the heads of those who are searching for God, or maybe they're new in their faith, and we're not trying to be so simplistic that that uh, those who are seasoned in their faith they somehow can't you know they're bored with with what we're saying. So. The information that we're given, the content that we're delivering is, is more common. We're trying to reach everyone. So, for example, with Jesus' ministry, he, he and let's take the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The, the, this is a, a concept that everybody could attach themselves to, whether they were searching for truth or whether they had been following God for a long time. And so that content, was it, it applied to everyone. It's a real key in our conversation here. 
So uh, Jesus spoke about parables. He, he used parables in his communication, and those parables could apply to everyone. Then when he got to the, to the group, later that night around the campfire, the communication, the content was more clear. So in the, in the big circle, it was more common. In the, in the group, it was, it was more clear. Again, this is very much like us. You can get more clarity when you get in the group. There are questions that can be asked. People can raise their hand. They can, they can say, can you clear this up? Much like the disciples did when they said, could you explain the parable? They didn't do that in the crowd. They did that in the group. So the content became more clear in the group, much like we can have in a Bible study or a home group or, or a, a, um, an adult Sunday school class, whatever that might be. So the content in the big circle, common in the mid circle, more clear. Let's look at the relationships. So the relationships in the, in the big circle, just like they are for us in, in, in church service on Sunday morning when we collectively gather, the, the, the relationships are, well, they're more casual. In other words, there's not time really to dig deep into a serious conversation because of time and because of the environment, because there's a lot of people standing around. And so it was in the days of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. You don't see too many recordings of arguments in the crowd scenes of Jesus. It's not only till you get to the mid-sized circle, that, that group setting, where there was jealousy, where there was envy, where there was like discussion of, of uh, who was greater and all, and all that mess. And it's so typical for the human experience that when we get closer to one another, there's going to be more tension, but there's more opportunity at that point to exercise the one another's, forgive one another, love one another, bear with one another, and, and so on. And so it it becomes more critical to get smaller in the relationship so that we do have those opportunities to exercise what we've learned. So this, this combination of content and relationship is critical in disciple-making. For example, if it's just all about relationships and there's no truth, there's no, there's, there's no commands, to, there's no content, there's no scripture, there's, no, there's none of that, then it's just going to become very shallow. If it's all truth and, and there's no relationship, if it's all content heavy, then it's just going to be an intellectual exercise, which ultimately is going to lead to either being dry and stale, or it's going to lead to pride, to be honest with you. So the combination and disciple making of, of, of truth, content, and relationship is so critical. Here's the interesting thing when you when you begin to look at the ministry of Jesus. I propose to you that there is a a smaller circle in Jesus's ministry that sometimes we for whatever reason we tend to overlook. And I'm going to refer that to that as as the small circle. Let me explain. When Jesus had one-to-one -one intersections with people, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, Martha, Peter, whoever that might have been, Zacchaeus, the content, and this is a this is a critical key point to the conversation that we're having today. The content at a one-to-one -one level is no longer common. It's no longer just clear, but it's customized. In other words, the conversation is personalized to that specific individual. So, for example. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus uh, came to him, of course, at night, and Jesus said, as a leader of Israel, it's puzzling to me that you don't understand the Holy Spirit. Okay, none of the, none of the uh, disciples were leaders of Israel. That was specific to him, not only to him and his identity, his title as a leader in Israel, but it was also specific to him to what he needed in that moment. The same was true for the woman at the well. Go, why don't you go get your husband? Very personal conversation. And that could have only taken place at a one-to-one -one level in that social setting without shaming someone. That's why it was so important that Jesus had that conversation when he was alone with her. The same thing happened with Peter after the resurrection. Uh, Peter, uh, after he went back to fish, he, you know, Jesus called him on shore. And so he said, Peter, I forget the crowd. 
forget the forget the group, forget everyone else. Peter, will you love me more than these? You see how customized that is. Same thing with Zacchaeus. Why are you cheating? Can you imagine? Uh, uh, Jesus went into the home of Zacchaeus, and the original language indicates that he descended on his home. In other words, he spent time in his home, and he must have asked about his parents. He must have asked about you know what he what he was uh, what his life was like and why he began to cheat and he probably began to dig down deep just like he did at the woman at the well, and and really try to understand how we got here and then to deliver a message of grace and mercy and compassion and direction and repentance, and Zacchaeus went into the house, sat at a table for two with Jesus, and he came out a different man, Thomas. Go ahead and touch my hands. Very customized to him. So this is a critical uh, piece of understanding that Paul-Timothy relationship. I propose to you that we have not intentionally gotten to this level. Now, again, I want to be super careful because we have groups in our church. We probably have 35 home groups in our church. I love, I'm in a men's group. I don't lead it. I love my men's group. But the, but the, 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 the thing that we must understand is in each of these circles, whether it's collective worship or it's a group of some kind or it's a table for two, one-to-one disciple-making, we, we have to understand what the expectation for each of these circles are. So in other words, when we're in a collective setting, what can we expect? I'm not sure that we can expect to dig down deep. That's why Jesus said, well, I'm not going to have those kinds of conversations in that collective setting, I'm not even going to have some of these conversations, the Nicodemus woman at the well, Thomas, Peter conversations in the group. Some of them were, but I'm going to reserve that to a more customized setting. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. So when you look at the uh, a collective worship or you look at uh, a, a group setting or you look at a one-to-one, what can we really expect to have in those groups. Well, here's how we here's how we couch it. In a collective setting, you can expect to be seen. In other words, it, it's a common greeting. Say, hey, Bob, good to see you, right? Because that is doable in that setting. If we want to be heard, we want to go then to a group setting because there's not, quite frankly, enough time to be heard in a collective setting. But if we want to be known, That's where it has to become at a customized, smaller setting. So I have two sons at home. One's a freshman uh, at a university here in Florida, and one's a junior in high school. And so long ago, they surpassed dad's ability to help with any homework uh, with chemistry and calculus. They had passed my pay grade. So they'd come up on a test, and they're having this, this, uh, you know, just emotional anxiety because they don't, they're not feeling like, I'm not sure if I can, you know, I'm not going to do well in tests. I'm going to tank the grade. And so what we would do is that we would say, let's get a tutor for you. Because as they sat in the class, what would happen is that just like all of their students, uh, their friends, their colleagues in a classroom, they're not going to raise their hand and say, I don't understand that. 
because they're embarrassed. It's no different in time sitting in a group. People are less apt to talk about certain things in a group than they will at a table for two. So we hire a tutor and we get a tutor, a math tutor, and they're going to come in and do their calculus test. And our kids are regular boys. They're not scholars. And they would come out every single time. Every time we get a tutor for them, they come out beaming because they're like, oh, I finally get it. And the only reason that they get it is because at a table for two with that tutor, the tutor could customize the content to the thing that they weren't getting. So, so a person has the ability to say in our spiritual communities at a table for two, man, my prayer life is lousy, or I'm not sure how, even how to do it. I don't even know where to begin to read the Bible because it looks like everybody in the group or everybody in church has their act together much more than I do. You know, the, 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 the church culture kind of has that kind of a, a vibe that it looks like everybody else is cleaned up and I'm not. And so we have people that are less likely to raise their hand and say, I'm struggling with this. I don't, I don't quite understand this. So this is where the relational side of the table for two really plays in at a critical level. So remember, at the content level, at the, in the big circle, the content is common. In, in the, in the mid-sized circle, the, the group setting, the content can become more clear and in this table for two, one-to-one, small circle, the content can become customized. Really, really important to, to, to catch that. When it comes to relationships, the relationships in the, in the collective worship time or in a crowd, they're more casual. When we move to a group, the, the, the relationships become more comfortable. In other words, we're comfortable with one another because we we're getting to know one another. And if you go to a micro group, then if with three people, then there is this, there's sense that we're now we're getting close. So we've moved from casual now to comfortable now to close. But I will tell you that when you come to the small circle, the comfort, the, the relationship can now become confidential. So when I was being discipled by Pastor Titus, when I'd first come to Christ, I again, I didn't know anything about anything. I was, I was 120% full passion, full voltage, uh, raw uh, new believer. And I, because of my music background, I got automatically involved in music ministry and uh, began to lead that. And then I automatically got into Bible studies and groups and whatnot. But every Thursday night, I sat at that table for two with Titus. Not only the content was different, where I could say, I'm not quite sure I understood this, and I wasn't going to raise my hand in the group setting because, again, everybody looked like they knew the answers and, and they had it all together. So not only the content was different, but this is the thing I didn't see coming. After about six months, and I, and I emphasize, after about six months, after time, relationships take time and nothing can really speed them up. After about six months with Titus, the relationship became safe. And again, I do believe that in the church culture, so when we come and, and talk about small circle, it's not in substitution for a group setting. It's not, it, whether it's a micro group or a home group or a Bible study or, or adult Sunday school, it's not in substitution because, again, I do believe that each of these settings, the group setting gives something, provides something that is as beautifully distinctive. But when we begin to talk about small circle, here's what I notice and observe, that regardless of what your setting is in your churches, we must do a stronger job at intentionally getting to this level with everyday people. I'm not talking about the pastor trying to do this with so many people. It's actually impossible. In fact, I will go so far as to say this, God has created us for this more safe, intimate, confidential relationship. Because James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, to confess our sins to one another. Well, to be honest with you, the way I'm wired, and I'm an introvert, but uh, the way I'm wired and the way many people are wired is that they're not going to get to that level of safeness to be able to exercise James 5.16 
and confess our struggles, our challenges, our sins to one another in a group setting. And again, nothing against a group. It's just what expectation you can have on a group. I have seen this over and over. So again, I'm in this men's group. Over the years, I've discipled four men in that group at different times at a one-to-one level. And I will tell you, uh, with, uh, head and shoulders, that the, uh, that the conversations that we're having at a table for two are absolutely completely different than what's the conversations that are happening in the group. Are the conversations happening in the group uh, less? Nope. Are they worse? Nope. But they're different. They're beautifully, distinctively different. So at that table for two with Titus, I began to feel safe with him after about six months. And it's that point that I could say, you know, Titus, I really am struggling in prayer. I, I start praying after about two or three minutes, my man, mind begins to drift. I, my mind gets cluttered. I don't know exactly what to say after that. And I just feel like I'm repeating myself. In those moments, Titus would say, it's okay, Steve. This is totally normal. This is very, this is very, uh, you know, you're right on track. And I, it just made me like, okay, cool. Because see, left to myself, singing in, in a group, I began to question, hey, maybe my relationship with God isn't real. I began, it began to become so safe that I could say to Titus, you know, Titus, I'm struggling with looking at some things that I didn't think I would look at as a Christian. I didn't know, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I didn't know I'd be tempted like I was as a Christian. And Titus would go, look, that's, that's entirely uh, normal. Everyone faces temptation. Let's study that. Let's customize your challenge and your struggle to exactly what you're experiencing at this at, at, at that point in your life. And we're not going to probably have that conversation in a group. This is the essence of small circle. This is the thing that we're, we're trying to get people to this level intentionally. So we have tools that we, we provide. And I always like to say at this intersection, we're, we're not selling anything. I, I'm coming to you as a pastor and I recognize that in in the U.S. at least that there are that eighty percent or above eighty percent of churches in the U.S. are one hundred and fifty people or less. That means that the budgets are are being squeezed. They're tight. So many years ago, uh, after you know writing these tools, I'm like, I want to make these tools available to anybody that wants them. So we have a mobile app. Um, that's a free download on the Google Play uh, uh, store or the Apple store. The, uh, it's completely free. There's no upgrade. There's no upsell at the end. Our tools are completely available uh, by download. We do have books that people want to buy them, but they're sold at, at cost. And so I just always like to say that the, uh, we're here to come alongside pastors, leaders, everyday people to provide tools at no cost you can download the PDFs. You go to the website smallcircle.com, and you'll see you'll see uh, how to get the tools. Just right at the top of the page it says "Get the tools," and you can go. Our tools are now in over a hundred countries and and approaching fifty languages because so many parts of the world are impoverished; they can't afford tools, and so we provide tools in all these languages. And so, here's the purpose of the tools. Because you know everybody has tools, and I think it's incredible. We've got so many partners in discipleship.org that I just love. I champion them. Their tools are amazing. Some are group-oriented. Some are micro-group-oriented. Some are one-to-one. I love the tribe at discipleship.org, and we truly have one heart and one mind, and we're here to, to infuse disciple making across the world in the, in the local church setting. And so I, I'm, I'm here with, uh, you know, many of my partners and, and, and comrades in this tribe, and I just love them. So uh, I, I can't emphasize that enough, but we, we wanted to provide these tools because we share the heartbeat of discipleship.org in that we really are passionate about seeing disciple making in our local churches and seeing change. So let me, let me just share this with you. I was with Pastor Titus for about a year and a half. And in that year and a half, the life change that I experienced was phenomenal. 
And what I couldn't understand, I, w- I went from that experience in Boston, I went to a seminary, I went to seminary, I w- went back and got another music degree, was in ministry. And so all those years, what was missing for me was the intentionality towards this one-to-one disciple making because it was so critical. So the tools really are just for everyday people to be able to both relationally and in regards to content, get to this level of safeness, because until you get to that level of safeness in disciple making, I propose to you that you will not see the life change that we're hoping for, that we're praying for, that God intends for us to have. I'm sure some of you recognize, or many of you probably recognize the name Larry Crabb, who's now with the Lord. But Larry Crabb wrote an incredible book by the title of Safest Place on Earth. Now, he's, it's, the book has been republished. I think it's Building True Spiritual Community, same content. But in this book, Larry is writing about this level of relationship. He uses this phrase, turning our souls towards one another. And it fascinated me as I read the book of how he was getting there, because when you look at at the results that we were looking at when we first began, about prayer, about giving, about disciple-making, about sharing our faith, about navigation in the Word of God or letting the Word navigate us and many other spiritual disciplines, about relational depth, so many things that as pastors we long for in in the local church. When you look at those results, we have to look at our methods. How are we getting to where we're getting? So knowing that much of the church culture um, is centered in a, in a group in group settings, I actually uh, contacted Larry uh, and, and said, can you, can you tell me, like when you're writing this book, how did you get there? What's the setting of your own, own local church, but how did you get to this relational depth? I didn't expect him to get back to me quite, quite frankly, you know, when I emailed him because he didn't know me and I, and I'm sure he's a busy guy, but after about three or four months, he actually responded back. I told him that we're, you know, our approach was, you know, a table for two, one-to-one. And so as we got to that, uh, that conversation, he replied to me, he said, you know, Steve, in my church, I only know one group that is able to get to the level of relationship that we are. And it's my group. And it's my group for ten for, for two reasons. One is that our group has been together for 10 years, and it's been a closed group. Nobody's come, nobody's gone. And so we've really, really grown safe in that group. And he said the second reason is because I'm leading the group. He said, I'm a professional. I know how to draw things out of people. I know how to make a safe environment goes. But for the rest of the groups in our church, they really don't, they really haven't gotten to that level of safeness and that level of intimacy, that level of, of confidentiality, because really the only way I know how to, to uh, do this is uh, to, to really get down to that level of, uh, of one-to-one. He makes a statement in, this, in his book, and I believe that this is a critical statement to this conversation. Larry Crabb said this, He said, I'm convinced that a certain level of life change depends on a certain level of relationship. Let me repeat that. Larry Crabb said that a certain level of of life change is dependent, directly connected to a certain level of relationship. And I think that's so true, that unless we get to that place of safeness and confidentiality, then we, we will not have the, the greatest, most optimum opportunity to, to uh, exercise James 5.16 or even Ephesians 4.15, where we're speaking the truth in love. In other words, we're customizing our challenges and the things that we're learning. And I will tell you, being in the ministry now for 40 years, We've done one-to-one, table-for-two, small-circle disciple-making in our church for the last decade, and we have not seen, I personally, being in the ministry this long, I have not seen such level of life change and relational depth in all the other 30 years put together. And the crazy thing is that we're seeing this around the world. When we travel around the world, we have teams that are training right now 
in some of the most remotest places in Africa and in Asia, Nepal, in the Middle East. And the results that are coming back are phenomenal. And I don't think it's anything that is innovative. I think that when you, again, examine the life of Jesus, it's really, uh, it's clear that he took the time to have these relationships. So often we think of disciple making in Jesus's ministry only limited to the 12, but of course we knew he had the three, but we also know he had the relationship with John. And that relationship with John was unique from the others. John is the one that says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Well, Jesus loved all the disciples, but there was a unique relationship that John had. And everybody in the group, by the way, knew that. You remember at the Last Supper, when Jesus revealed that someone was going to betray him, in some of the Gospels, it says that they were saying, Lord, is it I? John didn't ask that question. In fact, in the in the Gospel of John, in John 13, Peter leans over to John and says, ask Jesus who it is, because Peter recognized that John had a unique relationship with Jesus. All the, all the disciples scattered, by the way, uh, when, when uh, Jesus was arrested, only John came back to the cross. John was the only one historically that we know was not martyred, but he lived out his natural life. There were many unique things about John. John's gospel is, is different. He shows the internal side as well as the eternal side of Jesus. So it's fascinating when you look at that relationship. Let me do one thing, and then I'll, I'll touch on the tools. You'll notice that I haven't spent the last 40 minutes talking about our tools because I think it's important for us to understand the, the critical need, regardless of what your model is, the critical need, or regardless of what tool you use for, uh, for that matter, it's critical for us to intentionally get to this level in our church culture. And I promise you that you'll see an unparalleled sense of life change and, and uh, relational depth. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. Let me share my screen with you because I want to show you something really interesting. I'm going to refer to if you're just listening to the podcast, I'm going to refer to the word uh, dyad, D-Y-A-D. A dyad is one unique relationship. In other words, if there's two people, there's only one unique relationship. So let me let me give you an example of, of what I mean by this. All right. So um, as, we, as we look at, uh, if you look at the screen, you're going to see, um, let's see. Here we go. You're going to see that I put a little diagram. Again, if you're listening to the the um, uh, the podcast, you'll I'm, I've put two little faces on the screen, and in, in in between two people, there are there's just one possible unique relationship or a dyad. When you add three people, there are three possible dyads or unique relationships. So when you add a fourth person, you would think, okay, well, then there's four unique relationships. That's not true. When you add a fourth person, there are six unique relationships. Now, there's a mathematical equation, to be honest with you. I had to get my high schooler to help me with this. And the equation is N times N minus one over two. Okay, I know that sounds complicated, but let's say you have four people, four times four minus one over two, or four times three over two, and the answer is six. So that's how you get to it. So I was really fascinated with Jesus and his 12 disciples. How many unique relationships were there in a group of 13, right? 12 disciples plus Jesus. 
How many unique relationships were there in Jesus's group? Again, you could think, all right, well, there were there were 12 relationships. Nope, that's not the way, because if you put the formula to it, n times n minus one over two, you get 78 unique relationships in Jesus's 12 disciples, including, including Jesus himself. And that's the, if you're looking at the visual, that's about how that looks. So now you begin to see how important it is to, to understand what a group can give and what a group cannot give, what it can deliver. It's like having a toolbox. A pair of pliers, there's nothing wrong with a pair of pliers, but a pair of pliers, you're not going to probably hang a picture with a pair of pliers. You're going to get a hammer and, and for the tool. So th- it's an expectation of what the, uh, the pair of pliers can do and an expectation of what the hammer can do. So when we come to the, uh, the tools of small circle, what we have attempted to do is to, uh, to have this, um, this understanding that uh, we cannot just give content to, to say, hey, let's just do some study together. It has to be um, coupled with a certain level of relationship in order to, to, uh, to see the life change. So let me explain the small circle tools and some of the uniqueness to the small circle tools. Because if you look at um, uh, any set of tools, you're going to see worksheets. We have worksheets. You're going to see some reading to do. We have reading to do as well. But I want to point out some of the uniqueness to the small circle tools that we've seen that people get jazzed about. First of all, we have um, we have two tools in, in our toolbox uh, that are in print, or you can download them in, in a PDF format. Uh, in the mobile app, there's a third tool. I probably won't get to that, but it's it's kind of like a, a customized um, uh, uh, like a customized devotional of sorts. In fact, we we base this uh, tool out of the book Discipleship, which was co-written by Bobby Harrington and Jim Putman. And so uh, I worked with Jim's church, uh, read the book, uh, devoured the book, actually, went out to Jim's church in Idaho, worked with a team as I was building this app. And there were four relational cir- uh, um, circles that they had, our relationship with God, our relationship with the world, our relationship with other believers, um, and our relationship w- with the church, with, uh, with other believers. And so um, built the tool based on that. It's almost self-explanatory, so I won't spend a lot of time. The two tools that we have, one is called Exchange and one is called Next. So let me share again my screen with you and show you the kind of an overview of Exchange. Exchange has what we call four modules or four books. And in each book, there are six chapters. Now, you'll, if you're looking at the screen, you'll notice, if you're listening to the podcast, there are four numbers. These books are numbered uh, uh, 0, 1, 2, and 3. So the first book is 0, the second book is 1, the third book is 2, and the fourth book is 3. That has frustrated many people to my great delight, by the way, uh, because it causes people to think. And each of these books, so for example, uh, in book uh, 0, each title has to do with the number 0, why you were created at zero origin, the second birth, the second zero. Uh, Adam's fall. Uh, there are no exceptions to that. Zero gravity that the cross of Christ uh, lifted the, the, the gravity of sin. No fear in the resurrection. No way possible that we can operate with the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so each of these books uh, focuses on a different um, area of our Christian life. And so zero is really the kind of the what we would just call that ground zero base beliefs that we have. Uh, the second module is book one, or, and this is about how to make God first. So we introduce fasting, we introduce uh, the the surrender and the lordship of Christ, and how to have a single heart and a single mind rather than being double minded. The 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 uh, third book is book two, and it talks about a table for two, talking about the relationships that I've spent the last forty five minutes talking about. The, the final book is about uh, making disciples. As we say in English, baby makes three. And so uh, this is all about becoming disciple, uh, becoming disciples. So each of these books have six sessions. And so when you, uh, what we recommend is that each session, you'd only do each session every other week. Let me, let me share with you why that is. 
Uh, we believe that if you're doing, so there's a worksheet and there's a, there's a, a study guide, and et cetera. But we believe that if you do the, the, these worksheets and these chapters and these sessions every single week with the tools, it becomes more study heavy. And we're trying to balance out. We're trying to do two things. We're trying to balance out the study with real life. In other words, go to a ball game together, go have dinner together, go on a walk together, go play golf together, go fishing or whatever you do. Have some, you've got to integrate life so that the relationship becomes safer. Number two, we're trying to slow down. And so people ask us all the time, hey, what's your, what is the percentage of, of disciples using small circle tools? What's the percentage of disciples that become disciple makers? And the answer is it's over 80%. Over 80% of people that are using small circle tools they are they uh, become disciple makers, and I think the reason is is because we um, are are integrating a design into the tool. So let me let me um, kind of give you some unique factors of our tools. First of all, um, in every session we have what's called a lab. So a lab to understand a lab, you can understand a lab by by uh, thinking about the the time where Jesus was going to teach uh, uh, Peter about faith. And so uh, when he came to that place of faith, he uh, didn't give him a book to read. He didn't preach him a sermon or uh, tell him a parable. He created a storm on the sea and he asked, you know, walked on the water to the boat, asked Peter to get out of the boat. And, and I will promise you that Peter never, ever forgot that night. And so what we're trying to do is create labs for people to not only digest what's being said and, and like have that aha moment because Jesus used so many analogies of seeds and fish and planters and farmers and, and, and uh, all these pictures. We're trying to allow them to, to get over information transfer, to have those, those experiences. So, for example, when we talk uh, about the resurrection, we meet in the cemetery, we meet in a graveyard. I have had the most riveting, powerful conversations in a graveyard. Solomon said it's better to be in the house of mourning than it is in the house of celebration. Now, the disciple never knows what the lab is. So when they come into the session, sometimes it's a locational lab. Sometimes it's a, a, a uh, uh, something that we're using our sight. Sometimes we're using our hearing. Sometimes we're using our taste. Sometimes it's a prank. Sometimes they're, they're many, sometimes they're, they're kind of goofy. Sometimes they're very moving, but we're, we're trying to help them to absorb the, the conversation, to absorb the content. But more than that, so many of the labs are designed to chisel down what I call the wall of Adam. So when you think about what happened in the garden, we are created in the image of God. Let us make man in our image. That our image is very intimate. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 1, 18, no man has ever seen God except the only begotten Jesus who was in the bosom of the Father. Uh, John, in, in the book of John, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, I pray, Father, that they will be one, not just a general unity, but I pray that there will be one, just as you are in me, John 1, 18, and I am in you. He's praying that we'll have intimacy, not only with God, because he goes on to say, and then I pray that they'll be in us, so that the world will believe, because so much of the world, they are, they are desperate for these kinds of relationships, table for two relationships. You know, in 2016, by the way, the U.S. Surgeon General said the greatest risk to human health was not heart disease or cancer, it was loneliness. Some countries around the world, India, Japan, the U.K., they have an official government position, minister of loneliness. See, what we're trying to, to, to get at here is to how do you drive the relationship to the safe level? So in the Garden of Eden, there was this uninhibited, intimate relationship that Adam not only had with Eve, but they had with God. Then they sinned, and there was a wall that was created. And the first thing that Adam did, as you know, is they hid from God. We have inherited 
that hiding nature of Adam. That's why social media is so popular, that we can promote our best side and protect our worst side. When you get to a table for two, that begins to erode away. And the thing that we were created to be is intimate, relational people begins to happen. And so the labs not only help us to absorb the content, but the labs also help us to chisel down that wall of Adam. Let me give you an example of a lab, for example. So the first session is on why you've been created. God created you in this relational image. The two greatest commands, love God, love people. We've been created to be relational. And so we say to the disciple who doesn't know what the lab's going to be, hey, next week we're going to be talking about this relational side of God. So I wanted to see if you could bring in a childhood picture of yourself. Okay, the disciple wonders, wonder what that's going to be like. So brings the childhood picture in. We've equipped the disciple maker with questions to ask the disciple that most people don't ask, especially men. We're, we're terrible question askers. We're, we, we're comfortable talking about sports and politics and our occupation. And when it gets beyond that, we get a little uncomfortable. So we thought, hey, let's equip the disciple maker to ask good questions. So we ask questions like, hey, who do you look like more like your mom, or your dad? So they bring their picture and you're kind of having fun with it. And all the time we're talking about being created in the image of God, but we're customizing. That's the key. We're customizing every session because you can do that at a one-to-one -one level. So we say, hey, bring in a childhood picture. What do you, who do you look like more like mom or your dad? I look like my dad. Oh, tell me about your dad. Was your dad a kind man? Was he a, was he a firm man? Was he a stern man? How do you treat your mom? Are they still married? Are they still living? And you begin to dig down deep in their story because everybody has a story. I've discipled a, a, a guy that said, I didn't have a picture. I'm like, wow, tell me your story. So I was the youngest of eight children. My father called me a loser and a quitter every week of my life. You see, now we're disciple making. We're taking truth, but we're combining it with relationship. And that combination paired with the Holy Spirit and given enough time with some intentional tools, give an unparalleled experience. And so every single session in, in exchange has these labs. And so to be honest with you, when we began to, to translate the tools and other languages, I kind of wondered if people around the world would, you know, dig these tools. They would, you know, they would, uh, or they would just think we're, we're nutty here in America. I'm telling you everywhere in the world, the most remotest villages in Nepal, the most remotest villages in Africa and the, and, and metropolis, uh, metropolitan areas in the Middle East, Everybody loves the labs because it freshens the content, but it chisels that wall of Adam. And six months time, we see something happening that is, that is unique. And we are, and in some of these places I've been like when I, I trained in Beirut and six different times during the training, I had six different men come to me and said, you know, Steve, Middle Eastern men are not going to get this close. I will tell you that we have trainings going on right now. And, and some Middle Eastern countries that I can't even tell you where we're at, and the transparency and the vulnerability, they're absolutely stunned at what they're seeing, only because we're intentionally getting them to a table for two, where they can finally talk about their lives as they learn truth, and the obedience level and the life change level is absolutely phenomenal. I want to show you a little bit and talk to you a little bit about the overarching design before I let you go. And when you look at the overarching design and an exchange, um, there are four modules. Each module, as you remember, has six different sessions in each one. As I mentioned, we recommend that you do every other week. So that would take 12 weeks if nobody goes on vacation and nobody pauses and nobody gets sick. So that's that's just 12 straight up. That means that that would be 24 weeks for each of these two books. So that's about a half a year. So as I said earlier in my relationship with Titus, there's something that happens at the six-month level. This There's... I, there are three things as, as in a sense, kind of like a formula, intentional tools that are, that are designed specifically for a table for two. So intentional tools, enough time, and the Holy Spirit. 
That combination we have seen over and over that when you get to the six month mark, there's something that happens. Now, here's what we do with our tools in an overarching design. Book zero has a disciple maker book and a disciple book. Book one has a disciple maker book and a disciple maker and a disciple book. When we get to book two, and we've been together at least six months, typically it's more, more like seven or eight months. What happens is that we have no disciple book at that moment. And the reason that we do that is that we want to have this intrinsic design of getting the disciple ready to exercise his or her own muscle towards being a disciple. And we say, now we're iron sharpening iron. I want you to begin as a disciple maker. I want you as a disciple to begin to speak into my life. Because if they're disciples, sometimes people will argue that in a one-to-one setting, a disciple can become codependent on the disciple maker. I absolutely agree with that. But if, but this is why we design the tools in such a way that when we get halfway through, we say, hey, we want you to begin to flex your muscle as a future disciple maker. And that's one of the reasons why we see such a, a high rate of success of disciples becoming disciple makers. And so at this six-month mark, when we get to, to this third book, we're now talking about vulnerability because now we can. We didn't put the, the topics of vulnerability and honesty and courage and humility and, and confession at the beginning of the tools. We wanted to wait till it was safe to do so. And so this is why we, uh, we uh, put it here. And also we began to ta- allow that disciple to speak into our lives. Now we begin to see confidence on the, on the uh, part of the disciple. And when we get to the final book, we begin to go, to go a little bit heavier. We talk about the Bema Seat of Christ. We talk about the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness, that we're advancing. Infants typically don't advance the kingdom of God, but an infantry does. So it's important when a person comes to Christ that they grow up so they can actually not just expand the kingdom, but advance the kingdom. So we talk about all of these reasons of why a disciple needs to become a disciple maker, and we also give some practical tips. So by the time they go through this entire uh, scope that they, they are ready to be a disciple maker. So that's kind of the overarching design. Before I let you go, let me, let me tell you uh, very briefly, it's so self-explanatory. Let me tell you very briefly about um, uh, another tool. And, and the reason that we have this other tool is that we ran Exchange, the tool I've been talking about, for about two or three years in our own local church. And I began to ask people who, were, um, who had just led someone to Christ, is exchange too heavy for a brand new believer? And the answer kept coming back, yes, I think it's a little too heavy for a brand new believer. And so um, I decided to say, we need something at a one-to-one level for uh, for a, a new believer. And so we call this tool next. I'm putting on my screen um, the what these chapters look like. And so they're very, the, 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 um, the chapters are, designed to be super basic, your new identity in Christ, or how to begin to read the Bible, where to start, how to begin to pray. Let's talk about baptism. Let's talk about the, the just a basic who the Holy Spirit is, how to deal with temptation. God loves you no matter what, uh, unconditionally. How to begin to share your story, your testimony, the importance of the local church, a spiritual community, why serving is important, how to determine just the basics of the will of God. And finally, how to live a life that's umbilical or dependent on God. And so we have found that this has been a, a good uh, primer for exchange. And in this book, by the way, we switch up the rhythm where we recommend every other week for exchange, we recommend every week for next because they are babies, they're new believers, and and uh, little bite-sized pieces more uh, frequently is how we feed babies. So we have found this to be a great primer. It takes about three or four months to go through, and then they're ready for exchange. One more, uh, two more things actually before I let you go. Uh, we've had about an hour here together, so I've record it much more information. If, if God has, has piqued your interest in small circle, much more information in uh, some courses on video. Uh, there's no cost of these. If you go to smallcircle.com, you'll see where you can get the tools, but you can see where you can watch 
these these uh, free courses as well if you want more information. The, and the final thing I would say is that everything that we've talked about, all the content, everything we've talked about is also found in a mobile app. And you can find that if you just search for small circle, uh, one word in either Google Play or the Apple Store, you can see them there. Or if you go to smallcircle.com, you just click on get the tools that will show you how to download the PDFs. It has all the languages there, uh, by the way. You can see that where if you want to purchase a book, you can get a book uh, or you can also see where you download the the, the mobile app. So I, I'm I'm thrilled uh, that you've tuned in. I'm thrilled that you've listened. And I the thrilling part is not uh, just any specific topic. I'm thrilled that you're that you're you have a heart for disciple making. And I'm sure that's why you've tuned in today, wherever you are. And so I um, I am I'm grateful for the time we've had together. Thanks for for uh, spending the time with us. Uh, again, I'm so grateful for discipleship.org and the tribe that we have that has one heartbeat for for disciple making. And so if you have any questions, there's contact information at smallcircle.com. Please feel free to, to reach out if you have any questions. And uh, again, thanks for, for tuning in. Hope you guys are having a great day. And that's all I've got for today. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, I want to ask you to click subscribe and become an official Disciple Makers Podcast follower. Up next, we've got Greg Ogden and Ralph Rittenhouse of Global Discipleship Initiative. That'll drop here in the next couple of days, so be on the lookout for that. And as always, thank you so much for being a Disciple Makers Podcast listener. Have a great day.